Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Your Mortgage Process. Of course, I am your host, Greg Wareham. I want to talk a little bit today about the overall real estate market, and we'll talk a little bit about interest rates as well. So September marked the eighth month in a row that real estate sales were down. And that's the longest slump month over month. So it was eight months in a row that real estate sales were down. Longest slump since 2007. Now, when you look at things year over year, so from September of 2021 to September of 2022, overall home sales were down 24%. Now, that's the lowest sales that we've seen since September of 2012, Right. So sales have really been driving down. And I think we kind of all feel that in the marketplace. You know, it's just a has a lot to do with the rising interest rates. And that's slowed down the market a little bit. And the Fed has really been specific about trying to slow down the overall housing market. Now, I'm going to point to California for a second. So California sales were down 31 percent. Uh, year over year, which is the biggest in the country. Now, when we look at us regionally in the Northeast, it's down about 18%. And the reason that I bring up California is California has a tendency to lead the charge as far as real estate and the changes and the shifts in the marketplace. So we would expect to see home sales slow down, continue to slow down in the Northeast. However, one of the real competitive advantages that we have, especially in the tri-state area, is we got a huge population still with limited inventory. So although we're going to see sales continue to decline for, gosh, who knows how long, next three months, six months, we're not sure yet, you're not going to see them decline at the same level that we've seen in California. Now, a question that I get all the time is, are we preparing for a crash like the one that we saw in 2008, 9, 10, where real estate values dropped almost 30%? And you know, my answer to that question always is no. And the reason for that, in my opinion, is it's a completely different market setup than it was back in 2008, 9, and 10. Back then, what triggered the collapse in the market was really that the buyers went away and there was a massive amount of inventory. You know, it's one of the only times I can remember in recent memory where new construction was at a very high clip and projects were just being abandoned, right? They just couldn't have the funding anymore to complete these projects. And as a result of that, you really saw the market tumble just because there was such a huge supply of inventory with limited buyers. Now, comparing what listings are like now versus back in 2008, the listings were four times higher then than they are now. So there was four times the inventory. So with that being said, one of the big reasons you're not going to see that level of correction is there's still limited supply, right? There's still people looking to buy homes, even though the interest rates have went up as compared to last year. And there's a limited amount of inventory. So it kind of is keeping a little bit more balance. As we're seeing and as we discussed, we have seen the market change and sales are going down, but we shouldn't see this massive uh, decrease in home values. Now, that's just my opinion. I mean, give you the opinion of some other organizations. So Goldman Sachs has come out and said that they project in 2023 that home values are going to decline somewhere between 5 and 10%. The analysts at Wells Fargo have come out and said that they're planning on the market correcting by about 5.5%. Now, with that being, when I say correcting, going down by 5.5% in 2023. However, they're also projecting that in 2024, that we're probably going to see the housing go up 3.3%. 
So if you look at that, that's almost a wash, right? That means over a two-year time frame, maybe you see a couple percent uh, downtick in the marketplace as far as values con are concerned. And that's really a great thing for our overall economy. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't hit the panic button. We should still be in good shape going into uh, next year, the year after. And again, you are going to see price fluctuations, but not that, that significant as compared to what we saw the last time there was a correction in the marketplace. Now, something else I wanted to talk a little bit about are some mortgage products that have become kind of vogue over the course of the past 30 days, let's say, and I've heard a lot about them. I've been asked a question about what's called a 2-1 buy-down. And I kind of want to provide some clarity on, on what that is. So 2-1 buy-downs were originally put into place really in the builder field to incent people to do a mortgage with their mortgage company that the builder is affiliated with to drop the interest rate short term, provide a little bit of incentive. And let me explain to you how it works. So a 2-1 buy-down if starting interest rates today, as an example, are at 7%, the first year of the mortgage in a 2-1 buy-down, the interest rate is 5%. Second year, it goes to 6%. And then, then in the third year, it goes back to the 7% that it's supposed to be at. Well, what does that mean to the prospective buyer? So if it's a half a million dollar mortgage, going from 7% to 5% is going to reduce the monthly cost to that homeowner by about $642 per month. Year two, when the interest rate goes to 6%, that's gonna reduce the monthly payment, again, compared to that 7% original rate by $329 a month. And then of course, in year three, it goes to the 7% that it was supposed to be at. Now, it can definitely provide some short-term relief. Couple things I'll point out. That buy-down, the 2-1 buy-down, the cost to do that is the difference between what the payment should be at 7% as compared to what the payment was in year one and year two. In my example, the sum total of the, that differential in payments, about $11,500, $11, a little bit higher than that. That's the cost. That cost is paid by the seller in the form of a seller's concession. So it, it's a, it can be a little bit of a tricky product, and it can be right for the right people. I mean, where I've seen people use it successfully is if you have a property that's not selling and you're on the listing side of it, can we have the home seller give a concession back at the closing? We take that money and we use it to drive down the interest rate for the person looking to purchase the home, And as an example. So if it's a $500,000 listing and they're not getting any offers on it, Rather than dropping your price to, say, 470000 which is a $30,000 difference, maybe the seller incents the buyer by saying, listen, I'm going to drive down your interest rate for you. I'll give you a credit for $12,000 at the closing, and we'll take that credit and we'll specifically use it to drive the interest rate down on the mortgage that the buyer is qualifying for. So now in that situation, the buyer is going to save money monthly. And in addition to that, the seller's still going to get closer to their target price, right? Because if, if you're selling that property for $500,000, you're given a $12,000 credit, the seller's still going to walk away with $488,000. The buyer's in a situation where they have a lower payment in the 2-1 buy-down, at least for the first couple of years. Now, for me in my world, everything comes down to options to the prospective home buyer. So there is that option of a 2-1 buy-down if the seller is paying for it, but you can also take that same money and use it to permanently buy down the interest rate. So to take it and say, hey, if interest rates are at 7% today and we're getting a $12,000 credit, 
can we use that money, drive the interest rate down? In our example, let's say six and a quarter percent, and that's long term, so it never changes. So the key really is education on the whole process and what can and can't be done, who has to pay when it comes to a 2-1 buy-down, and just more than anything, just making sure that the buyer understands what the options are and what's in their best interest. And we can go in a little more detail about that. You could surely reach out to me. You have my email address at greg at your mortgage process, and we could talk through it in a little bit more detail. Now, one other thing that I did want to point out, too, is... What do higher interest rates mean? So I'm going to give you an example. If we go back a little bit earlier in this year, interest rates were at 5%. If you're buying a house for $500,000 and you're putting down 10%, so you're borrowing $430,000, that gives you a principal and interest payment of $2,416 per month. Well, interest rates we all know went up, and let's say they're up to 7%, and they're fluctuating day to day, so it's just for illustration purposes. Same transaction, $500,000 purchase price, 10% down, $450,000 loan amount, it's 7%, gives you a principal and interest payment of $2,994 a month. So that difference in payment in that 2% swing on our $450,000 loan example is $578 a month. So it can be significant and it's all interest to the buyer. And it reduces the overall purchasing power by $86,000. So, and what I mean by that is $578 in payment equates to about $85,000, $86,000 in purchasing power. So, if you're buying a house right now and you're not getting the offer that you need on the listing side, a big reason for that is the buyer can't necessarily afford it because they were able, to, the buyer was able to pay $85,000 more a few months ago when interest rates were at 5% than they can today. And that's certainly impacting our market. And that's also kind of stabilizing our market at the same time. You know, one more thing I would throw out is the Federal Reserve's looking to meet again on November 1st and November 2nd. Now, I want to backtrack a little bit to who's buying homes right now. And why this is important as we look in a, a shrinking market, you know, what we're doing from a marketing standpoint, right? So we get really start to manage our expenses a little bit more effectively. And then we also need to allocate the money that we are using for marketing and put it in the right areas. So statistically, the first time home buyers are the ones that were priced out of the market or termed out of the market over the past few years. So we should statistically see more first time home buyers purchasing homes. And they are the largest demographic of people that are purchasing homes, just from an age standpoint. I mean, first, uh, the millennial marketplace is the biggest population ever. And like I said, they went, there's a lot of pent-up demand in that area because they weren't able to buy houses in the past couple of years. So you want to think of a way that you're going to be able to target those first-time home buyers. Uh, when you look at opportunities with investors, because the investors are never going to go away. You know, what is the cost analysis that we're doing with them and how can we show them what their return on investment is? If you need any assistance with that, of course, you can reach out to me as well. I can put everything into a tool that I use and show you exactly what the, the return on investment would be. We just got to be really hyper focused on where we're spending the money. Now, it, far be it for me to tell anybody how to spend, whether or not they should spend or not spend. I can give you my opinion on it. We come into these markets where everybody's cutting back on costs because volume shrinking. Now, there is some prudence associated with, again, what you're spending money on.
But the people that come out of the back end of this that are most successful and have gained market share have creatively come up with ways to reallocate those resources, not just cut them off. How do I reallocate them? And you really got to think, and I use myself personally, I start to think about if I'm going to cut costs because volume is down, where am I going to cut? Well, the first place I'm going to cut is home, right? What can I cut at home to free up more financial leverage from a business standpoint. So I cut home first, and then we start looking at everything from a business standpoint. And I do my best to just figure out, hey, I'm not going to eliminate cost. It's just how am I going to reallocate them to prepare myself to capture more market share? There's two different schools of thought when you come into these unique marketplaces where things change very aggressively. You know, some people just kind of put their head in the sand and wait for the wait for the sun to come out again. Other people aggressively go at it to see how much market share they can pick up. You know, if we're from the position of picking up more market share, spending money in the right places, when the market gets normal or gets great again, that's when you've picked up a ton of market share. And that's really when the money starts to roll in. So again, if I can be any of assistance as far as planning for expenses, mortgage questions, anything like that, you know, I've been doing this for 24 years. Let me know how I can help and reach out to me directly. And again, it's, uh, you can reach me at Greg at your mortgage process. Listen, I appreciate everyone taking the time to listen to this. If you need anything, again, have any questions, let me know. Otherwise, I appreciate you tuning in to Your Mortgage Process. Thank you, everybody, and we'll look forward to catching up with you soon. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.